Okay, folks, I have a question for you. What would you do if an evil snake-themed set-worshipping cleric turned your family into stone? Yeah, I don't know what I'd do either, but really the more important question is, what would Conan do? Stephen or else media this is hither came conan the podcast that doesn't always talk about comics i'm your host my name is steven and today i bring you something truly special because today you lucky people today i'm gonna talk about a conan that until recently i never even knew existed a conan who is an adventurer a conan who is a warrior without fear A Conan that is more powerful than any man and whose legend spreads across the land and sea. Make yourself comfortable, dear listener, for today we're talking about the very first episode of the 1992 animated series, Conan the Adventurer. To undo the spell of living stone cast upon his family by driving the evil serpent men back into another dimension and vanquishing their leader, the cruel wizard Rathamon. Now, I think I'm going to do things a bit differently for this one. With an issue of a comic, I'd tell you the title, when it was published, what it went for at the time, and list the creative team. Then you'd get the kind of synopsis that most people would refer to as bordering on the poetic, after which I'd throw a bunch of information at you regarding the making of the issue and how it might tie into one of the Robert E. Howard stories, and then I'd finish it all off by talking about my favorite bits. But we're dealing with an episode of a cartoon here, folks, so the tried and true template doesn't quite fit. Not really. Instead, while I will be giving you a synopsis of the episode, because, come on, I'd hate for you to miss out on my poetic narration, I am going to slide in bits of information throughout the synopsis, along with my commentary as I point out my favorite bits and junk. Sound good? Hello? Oh yeah, I always forget that you can't respond. Anyway, Conan the Adventurer made its syndicated television debut on Sunday, September 13th, 1992, running for two seasons and a total of 65 episodes with the final episode airing on November 23rd, 1993. The series was developed by Christy Marks, who also served as the show's only head writer. Marks, by the way, is a prolific writer whose career stretches all the way back to 1979 with her first published work, 
the 17-page Red Sonja story, Master of Shadows, which appeared in issue number 45 of Savage Sword of Conan. She also created and wrote the eight-issue comic book miniseries, The Sisterhood of Steel for Marvel Comics, which was published between 1984 and 1985 under Marvel's epic line of creator-owned comics, and it featured the art of Mike Vosberg. Her television credits include such classics as Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, Gem, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Dino Riders, Reboot, and X-Men Evolution, just to name a few. So yeah, her bona fides are on point, and she really did craft something fun here with Conan the Adventurer, as long as you understand that this is not the Conan we've been talking about on the podcast for the last few months. But before we get into what I thought, let's get into the episode. It was written by Christy Marks. It features the voice talents of Michael Donovan, Scott McNeil, Kathleen Barr, and Richard Newman. It's rated TV-Y7, and it is entitled The Night of Fiery Tears. The sun has set in Samaria, and Conan, in his late teens, dreams of adventure. The young barbarian and his grandfather sit around a campfire, the star-filled sky above them stretching off into oblivion. His grandfather, a man of the world, is telling Conan a story involving the charge of 5,000 shining knights, when suddenly, the sky begins to rain fire. Meteors crash and explode all around them as the two beat feet, dodging the falling rocks and jumping over a deep chasm in their search for shelter. Conan's grandfather takes refuge beneath a rocky outcropping, but before Conan can join him, the meteor shower is over. In the aftermath, Conan finds one of the fallen space rocks and discovers that it's made from some sort of strange metal, which his grandfather names Star Metal. Listen, Grandfather. The knights. Conan, it's only the wild horses on the plain. There. Can you see them? One day, it won't be just a pack of horses. One day, it will be an army of knights. And I will lead them into battle. So yeah, not a bad start. And I really like that the first member of Conan's family we meet is his grandfather. And that his grandfather is telling him tales of adventures in faraway lands. See, I know that my memory can't be trusted. But that being said, I have this memory of Conan's grandfather being the guy that inspired Conan to leave Samaria and get out there and explore the big wide world. And I feel like this is something that came out of the Dark Horse comics. What I recall is that Sumerians were known to be closed off, that they didn't trust anyone from other lands, and they sure as hell weren't interested in leaving Sumeria. But then comes Conan's grandpa, who's like one of the first Sumerians to leave Sumeria and explore and get into adventures and all that stuff. Kind of like the Hobbit and Bilbo's great uncle or great great uncle or whatever. He was the Hobbit who went out and did stuff and that rubbed off on Bilbo. And that's why Bilbo went on the adventure that he went on in the Hobbit. Now, I don't imagine anyone west of Bree would have much interest in adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things. Make you late for dinner. <laughs> so... As I'm watching this episode, and I'm thinking of how cool it is that they have Conan's grandpa there, right from the first scene, fueling Conan's wonderlust, 
I realize that if my memories are correct, then Miss Marks, you know, the head writer who developed the show, well, she surely didn't get that idea from the Dark Horse comics, considering that Dark Horse didn't start publishing Conan books until 16 years or so after this episode aired. So, of course, me being me, I needed to know where the concept came from. When did Conan's grandfather first appear and all that stuff, which, you know, meant that I had to do the one thing I hated doing the most in the world, which is research. Now, with that being said, take everything here that I'm about to tell you in regard to Conan's grandfather with a grain of salt, because while I may get a lot of it right, there could be more out there that I didn't find simply because I ran out of patience. First off, Conan's grandfather isn't named in this episode, though, according to ConanAnimated.Fandom.com, his name is Con, C-O-N-N. In the Dark Horse run, however, his name is Conached, or Conached, C-O-N-N-A-C-H-T. So, having spent literally minutes of research, it appears that Conan's grandfather is never actually mentioned in any of the Robert E. Howard stories. Howard does, however, make mention of Conan's grandfather in a letter to P. Schuler Miller, a fellow writer who was the guy, along with John D. Clark, who mapped out the chronology of Conan. Or in other words, the chronological order in which to read Howard's Conan stories. Anyway, this is what Howard had to say to Mr. Miller in regard to Conan's granddad. The country claimed by and roved over by his clan lay in the northwest of Samaria, but Conan was of mixed blood, although a purebred Sumerian. His grandfather was a member of a southern tribe who had fled from his own people because of a blood feud and after long wanderings, eventually taken refuge with the people of the north. He had taken part in many raids into the Hyborian nations in his youth before his flight, and perhaps it was the tales he told of those softer countries which roused in Conan as a child a desire to see them. So there it is. Boom. While he doesn't give a name to Conan's grandfather, there in the letter is the origin of the idea that Conan's grandpa inspired in Conan at a young age a desire to leave home and roam the earth. Basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What you mean walk the earth? You know, like Cain in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. What I find quite fascinating about it, though, is the fact that this idea that Howard had about Conan's grandfather, an idea he never explored in any of the two dozen Conan stories he wrote, but instead shared as part of two paragraphs and a bit of correspondence, would then eventually find its way into this cartoon some 50-odd years later, and then, 16 years after that, picked up by guys like Kurt Busiek and Timothy Truman to be explored even further in a bunch of Dark Horse comics. Conan's grandfather, by the way, didn't appear in the Marvel run until issue 119 of Conan the Barbarian, which was an issue written by J.M. DeMatteis and was published in November of 1980. Oh, and his name in the Marvel issue is Drogon. And by the end of the issue, he's dead. So he makes his first appearance in issue 119 and his final appearance. I just find all that all kinds of fascinating. Meanwhile, back to the cartoon. In the top of a dark tower, Dregs, a naga with the hood of a cobra and the tail of a rattlesnake, upon seeing the meteor shower, freaks out and runs to warn his master 
Rathamon, that the sky is falling. Rathamon, however, knows a falling star when he sees one, and as he chides Dregs for being a fool, the black snake ring on his finger begins to glow, signifying that his master, Set, calls for him. Okay, so first I feel like I should explain what a Naga is, because I myself had never heard the name before I started looking into this episode. This, by the way, is straight out of Wikipedia. In various Asian religious traditions, the Nagas are a divine or semi-divine race of half-human, half-serpent beings that reside in the netherworld and can occasionally take human or part-human form. The Naga in Conan the Adventurer is named Dregs, and he is super annoying. But, of course, I have to remember that this show wasn't made for me, or at least the me that is me now. Dregs is one of those characters that, like most action-packed cartoons from the 80s and 90s, would be considered the comic relief. Think like uh, Snarf from the Thundercats or Uni from Dungeons and Dragons. Now for a taste of your own medicine! Well, that's Dregs, except he's a bad guy. There's a good guy version on the show as well, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Rathamon, by the way, is like, wow. First off, being the leader of a snake cult that worships Set, I'm going to assume he's loosely based on Thulsa Doom from the movie Conan the Barbarian. His name, however, is very reminiscent of Thothamon, the wizard that first appeared in The Phoenix on the Sword, who ended up to be like Conan's Lex Luthor in the comics. Speaking of The Phoenix on the Sword, well, let's just say that the bad guy here in the cartoon, having a name that sounds like the name of the bad guy in The Phoenix on the Sword, isn't the only thing that ties that story and this episode of the cartoon together. But we'll get there. But yeah, Rathamon. He looks like Serpentor on steroids. I mean, he just looks ridiculous, but I bet the kids at the time thought he looked pretty cool. So back in Samaria, Conan brings an armload of the star metal to his father, the blacksmith, who, seeing that the metal is not of their world, works with Conan to forge it into tools and weapons, which will surely net them a fat purse at next year's merchants gathering. And of course, I think we all know that Conan's dad being a blacksmith is just part of the Conan canon, regardless of the media. In Howard's Hour of the Dragon, Conan says at one point, I am a barbarian and the son of a blacksmith. His dad, Corin, is a blacksmith in both the Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Jason Momoa Conan movies, and he's a blacksmith in the comics. His name, however, in the cartoon is Manor, M-A-N-I-R. Not sure why they made the change on the name, but there you go. This metal, it's like nothing I've ever seen. We dug up every piece we could find, Father. Ah, you did well. We'll work it together, you and I, and make weapons and tools such as men have never seen. And they'll fetch a fine price at the merchants' gathering next year, son. You won't sell all of it. <laughs> I'll save some for you, Starfinder. 
Back to the cartoon, Rathamon opens a portal into the abyss in order to have a chat with his boss, Set, who tasks Rathamon with gathering up all of the star metal to make into seven discs that are to be placed atop seven pyramids, which Rathamon is supposed to build. With those seven pyramids and their seven discs, Rathamon will be able to free Set from the abyss, which is his prison. And once free, Set will finally be able to enslave the entire human race. Ignorant of the fate that is about to befall the entire human race, Conan's father forges for Conan a mighty sword, the only sword that his father will ever make with the star metal, and a sword which Conan cannot have until he has become a man. In other words, once the sword is complete, Conan and his dad take it up the mountain and they place it inside a stone crypt with a stone lid so heavy that Conan's father can barely lift it. Once Conan is man enough to remove the lid, the sword will be his. Conan tells his father that he's already man enough, and his father tells him to prove it. And so the barbarian youth, who has yet to achieve the steely thews of manhood, gives it his best shot, squeaking out a number of embarrassing sounds as he tries to lift the stone lid before finally giving up. A couple of years working the forge will give you the muscles you need. Come. One year later, yeah, time jump, Rathamon berates a lackey for failing to find even a pebble of the star metal. While at the Sumerian merchants gathering, Conan's pops is selling his star metal goods as a shifty-looking dude with pointy ears watches on. Conan, in the meantime, now a much bigger man and packed full of muscles, intervenes when three men try to tame a wild horse, and one of them, after the horse kicks both of his mates, makes ready to shoot the horse with a crossbow. Conan knocks the guy on his ass and sets the horse free. Crossbow dude, thinking that Conan is stealing the horse, shoots at Conan and misses. Before he can fire another shot, Conan's father is there, looming over the man. Conan's dad takes the crossbow away from the dude and breaks it across his knee. The horse, by the way, appeared earlier in the episode. In the opening, when Conan's grandfather was telling Conan the story of the Shining Knights, out beyond the firelight in the open plains below them, the horse was out there running wild with a herd of other wild horses. Also, everything here happens like really fast. This scene or this moment, I'm assuming is there to establish that Conan is a guy that will come to the aid of those that need it, that he defends the defenseless. But again, it all happens just way too fast. Plus, at one point, I think he calls the horse a beast, maybe even a creature. I don't I don't remember. It was really weird. Never have I seen such cowardice. Three men against a single beast. Run, beast, run. You'll pay for this with your life. But we get this super quick bond that forms between Conan and the horse which will actually pay off later. Meanwhile, the shifty-looking dude with the pointy ears runs to tell Rathamon all about Conan's father and his star metal goods and where to find them. Conan, in the meantime, is hanging out with his grandfather back at the Sumerian village. Conan's carrying a large anvil around without breaking a sweat, and his grandfather, once the anvil is in place, gives the young barbarian a necklace adorned with fangs and a circle of gold. 
He tells Conan that he won the necklace in battle in Stygia and that it's always brought him good luck. He wants Conan to have it because he sees a bit of himself in the lad and he knows that it won't be long before Conan gives in to the wanderlust and sets out into the world to roam the earth and get into adventures and all that stuff. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. As Conan accepts the gift, everything goes to hell when Rathamon attacks. Where's the blacksmith? I would speak with him. The big snake lover in his green snake armor, green snake helmet, and wrist fangs comes swooping into the village riding in a flying chariot pulled along by what appears to be a pair of wyverns. He then begins laying waste to the place by firing energy blasts from his black snake ring. Rathamon's wrist fangs, by the way, are a pair of claws like Wolverine's, except that Rathamon's claws don't retract, which must make it pretty difficult to eat or type or scratch his nose or just plain hug his mom. Conan, as the attack is underway and people are running around in panic and screaming and buildings are blowing up and fire rages all around, well, Conan takes off. But Conan is no coward. He heads up the mountain to retrieve the sword he and his father put there in that stone crypt, the sword that will become his on the day he is man enough to get it. Well, today just might be that day. Meanwhile, Rathamon finds Conan's father, who we're just going to refer to as Manier from this point on, because that's his name. Like Conan's grandfather, Khan, they never give his father's name in the episode. But again, like Khan, it's listed on that fandom site. Anyway, Rathamon finds Manier and demands that the blacksmith hand over the star metal. Manier tells Rathamon that there isn't any left, that he sold it all. And Rathamon, who's not a very trusting guy, calls Manier a liar and threatens to bring the whole village down around his ears if he doesn't produce all of the star metal. Then, proving that he can walk the walk, not just talk the talk, Rathamon starts firing more energy beams from his black snake ring and blows shit up. Conan, by this point, has arrived at the crypt in which his sword is resting, waiting for the Sumerian to become a man, and the young, steely-thewed barbarian sets about struggling over the great stone slab. He grunts, and he sweats, and he heaves, and he hoes, until finally he's able to move the stone aside and take up the sword, which, drawing it slightly from the scabbard, we see the blade glow and crackle with an almost electric energy. Back at the village, Manir stands up to Rathamon, stating that the big green baddie won't get anything from him. Rathamon, in his anger, punishes Manir by throwing a spell of living stone at him. Unfortunately, just as the little glass ball containing the spell breaks open at Manir's feet, both Khan and Conan's mother step up to the blacksmith as a show of support and are both caught up in the spell. Soon, all three have been turned to stone. Conan arrives just in time to see his family become permanent residents of the village, and as Rathamon laughs, the barbarian draws his sword and holds it above his head, lightning-like energy shooting out of the blade in such a way that combined with Conan's heroic pose, I almost expected the Sumerian to call out. Rathamon, seeing that Conan's sword was forged by star metal, commands his men, all two of them, to take it. But as they approach Conan, the energy from the sword crackles all around them, causing their true forms to be revealed. 
Rathamon's men are snake men. And just so there's no confusion, so the audience knows exactly what's happening, one of the snake men calls out in surprise that the sword has broken through the spell that has kept them hidden as humans. The newly revealed snake men attack Conan, who uses his sword defensively and to break their weapons with his mighty chops. Just to be clear here, once again, this is a cartoon made for kids ages seven and above. Yet, our hero wields a mighty sword. So yeah, he can't actually use the sword the way that a sword is meant to be used. So he uses it instead to parry their attacks, but also uses it to chop at their swords, which, of course, causes their blades to shatter. And really, it just makes me wonder why, at the time, they thought it might be a good idea to take a character like Conan in all his bloody, violent, man whorish gory glory and make a cartoon with the guy for kids. I, I, I just don't know what the thought was at the time. Anyway, the barbarian swings his sword and with it taps one of the snake men gently atop his helmet, which causes a portal to open up above them. The snake man then turns to dust, which is quickly sucked into the abyss, leaving his armor behind to crash to the ground empty. The other snake man attacks, and after they trade a couple of blows, the sword causes this guy to be pulled into the portal as well, again, leaving his armor behind. The portal closes, and Conan attacks Rathamon after first declaring, Snakes or men, nothing will stop me! Rathamon takes off in his flying chariot, but Conan hitches a ride, and soon the two are fighting in the air. But when Conan's sword causes Rathamon to be revealed as another snake man, Rathamon kicks Conan from the chariot and falls out of the sky and lands safely on the straw roof of one of the village houses. Rathamon escapes, shouting threats back at Conan that, well, I guess he'll follow up on later. This, for me, was a damn funny moment. And, well, here's the audio. And once it's finished, I'll talk through it and point out what I found so freaking funny. Who see the true face of Rathamon must perish! I will find you, Rathamon! I shall destroy you first! Okay, so the line, those who see the true face of Rathamon must perish, well, he's yelling this as Conan falls from the chariot and, as I said, lands safely atop the straw roof of a house. But with such a proclamation from Rathamon, you'd expect the guy to be right there when Conan lands, throwing everything at the barbarian to, you know, kill the guy. Because after all, those who see the true face of Rathamon must perish. But instead, Rathamon runs away. And it's as he's fleeing that Conan shouts after him, I will find you, Rathamon! And Rathamon, still running away, shouts back, I shall destroy you first! I shall destroy you first. And again, you expect the guy to turn the chariot around and attack. But no, with that final declaration, Rathamon escapes into the night. So it's like, you saw my true face, so you have to die. And before you find me, I'm going to kill you first. Just, you know, not today. I, uh, I have somewhere else that I need to be. It's like an old Spider-Man villain. We'll meet again, Spider-Man! Anyway, with the danger now past, 
Conan kneels before the statues that were once his family, and he makes a solemn vow. He swears by Krom that he will never rest until he restores them to flesh and blood. Krom is apparently the guardian spirit of their tribe and not, as ConanFandom.com describes him, a grim and gloomy god ever watching from atop his mountain in dark clouds or obscuring mists, ready to pass a disapproving judgment on any and all. Which, yeah, I get it, would be fairly depressing for a kid. And, oh my God, we're just at the halfway point of the episode. I mean, they really knew how to pack a lot of story into a short run time. Still, <sighs> Do you realize this will never end? So Conan sets out on his quest to find a cure for his family and immediately finds three horses running across a field. One of them is the horse that he set free from the merchants gathering and he chases after it, calling out, hey, horse. And wouldn't you know it, the horse stops and Conan climbs up onto its back. Hey, hey, hey horse. He gives the horse a friendly pat on its neck and starts throwing out ideas for names. First, how about Midnight? <laughs> the horse bucks and knocks Conan on his ass. Conan picks himself up, climbs back onto the horse, and suggests the name Mighty Avenger. <laughs> Once again, the horse bucks and knocks Conan on his ass. Conan picks himself up once again takes a moment to rub his sore ass. Then, climbing back onto the horse one more time, he suggests the name Thunder. This one, the horse likes. And as Thunder neighs, Conan laughs, and the two set off. <laughs> Run like the wind, Thunder! Soon, Conan and Thunder come to a city surrounded by a crude wooden wall, and the horse refuses to enter, bucking Conan once more off of his back. Conan, sprawling around in the dirt, agrees to allow Thunder to wait there outside the walls. Before the barbarian can pull himself to his feet, however, an old man in a robe is suddenly there, standing above him. The old man tells Conan that what he seeks cannot be found in the city, and even calls the barbarian by name. The old man then tells Conan that he knows much about him him, his star metal sword, and Rathamon. He then tells Conan to go to Mount Golamira and to enter the tomb of Epimetrius the Sage. Then, as Conan is suddenly distracted by a flock of birds, the old man disappears, just fades away into nothingness. There's this point here after Conan realizes that the old man is gone. I mean, he's literally distracted by a flock of birds. A big flock of birds just come flying in. They fly around Conan, kind of spinning him around. And as that's happening, the old man just kind of disappears. And when Conan notices that he's gone, he says, by Krom, the ways of civilization are very strange, which, you know, that's kind of the central theme to a lot of the Robert E. Howard Conan stories is the idea that Conan, who is a barbarian, that comes from a barbaric race that wears furs and lives in huts and all that crap, that they are somehow, or that Conan is somehow less civilized than people who live in the big city. And it's often pointed out how, in the end, 
based on their behavior, that Conan is usually the more civilized of the two. And I guess this was just a kind of fun moment for them to, I don't know, I guess it's kind of a nod to that theme. Like Krom, the ways of civilization are very strange. And so Conan travels to Mount Golamira and enters the tomb of Epimetrius the Sage, where... Hello? Anybody here? Nobody must rock troll. He fights a four-armed rock troll. And as the creature does appear to be made entirely of rock and stone, it's cool for Conan to use his star metal sword to cut off a couple of arms and then crack the troll over the head, causing the creature to say, oh dear, before it breaks apart, becoming nothing more than a pile of rocks. Suddenly, the old man is there, and we, along with Conan, discover that the old man is the spirit of Epimetrius the Sage, which, for me, is the best inclusion from all of the Robert E. Howard Conan stories. Who is Epimetrius the Sage? Well, we'll get to that. Hold on. So Epimetrius tells Conan that he is destined to become the greatest champion of humankind in the coming struggles between humans and the serpent men of Set, and that only Conan can stop them. And then Epimetrius tells Conan the story of Set. Thousands of years ago, he attempted to enslave the entire Earth. But the wizards of the world banded together, using their powers to drive Set into the abyss. Trapping him in that other dimension. His serpent men, disguised as humans, still live among us, awaiting the return of their master. You said he was trapped. How can he return? The star metal can set him free. Epimetrius explains that Though Set has been imprisoned in the abyss, the star metal can set him free. You know, set, set free. <laughs> Get it? Set, set free. <laughs> okay, maybe that's just for me. Anyway, the spirit of Epimetrius sets Conan on his quest. Find Rathamon and destroy his black snake ring, which will free his family from the spell of living stone and... Though it isn't really said, I have to assume that destroying the ring will also keep Rathamon from freeing his master, Set. Epimetrius then sends Conan off with a companion, a young phoenix named Needle, who loves pomegranates and lives in a shield or hides within it or something. It's a real mystical, magical kind of thing. Now, this is something that I find super interesting and actually quite exciting. Not the character of Needle. I mean, he is super annoying, and we'll talk about him in a bit. No, I find it both interesting and exciting that the spirit of Epimetrius the Sage sends along a phoenix to help Conan on his quest, which is a huge callback to the first Conan story ever published, The Phoenix on the Sword. Now, I have talked about this story on a previous episode before I Started talking about all the comics. I had originally started talking about the Robert E. Howard stories and how they compared to their comic book adaptations. And the second episode I did was about the Phoenix on the Sword. You'll find it there at the beginning of the episodes in the show. It's just called the Phoenix on the Sword. Look for it. Anyway, very briefly, 
The Phoenix on the Sword is a story about Conan, who is a king. He's the king of Aquilonia. He's, I don't know, he's probably in his 40s or his 50s. And there is a, a group of men there in Aquilonia that want to assassinate Conan in order to put somebody else on the throne. They feel that a, a barbarian should not be on the throne. And one of these guys has a slave with him by the name of Thothamon. This is Thothamon's first appearance in any Conan story, just like it's, uh, I guess, Conan's first appearance. And Thothamon has, or had, before he became a slave, he had this magic ring that helped him call down demons and junk like that. And he ends up, through happenstance, finding this ring, which he uses to call forth a demon to kill the dude that has made him a slave and anyone with this guy. And that happens to be Conan, because the guy and a bunch of others have gone to kill Conan. But before these traitorous rebels can break into Conan's sleeping quarters and kill him as he sleeps, Conan is taken from his room to a hidden room in the castle by the spirit of Epimetrius. And Epimetrius basically explains to Conan that he has been fighting against this snake god set all his life and that something evil has been set loose within the castle and Conan has to be the one to destroy it. Otherwise, really bad things are going to happen. And in order to, to help him, to give him something that will help him fight this demon creature, he gives Conan a sword with a phoenix on the hilt or Conan already had the sword and he put the phoenix on the hilt, which made it magical. Either way, Conan ends up using the sword, killing the demon, blah, 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 blah. So I think it's really cool that in this first episode of Conan the Adventurer, we get the sage or the spirit of the sage Epimetrius sending Conan off on a quest. And rather than giving him a sword with a phoenix on it, he's given a shield with a phoenix on it. And that phoenix is the I guess, artistic representation of this young phoenix named Needle, who mystically is part of the shield and can come out of the shield and is a real thing and helps Conan and, and all this stuff. And he, I, I just, I find it super cool. It makes me really much more excited about this episode and much more excited about the series in general. And that was like one thing that I felt like if I didn't point it out, then this episode would have been for nothing. Needle, wake up! That's an order! <laughs> Go away! Needle's sleeping! Come on this instant! Needle! No! Alright, alright! You don't have to yell! Needle! Stay back! Needle not want to go with big dumb barbarian! Do you wish to remain a fledgling forever? Unless you perform many good deeds, you will never grow up. Huh. Don't care. Needle want to sleep. He'll come around. Offer him a pomegranate and he'll be fine. But do your best to keep him a secret. You keep him. Look, you can always use a sturdy shield. It belonged to a king of Atlantis once. Take it, Conan. And I almost forgot that Epimetrius mentions that the shield was once owned 
by a king of Atlantis. And that, of course, would be a reference to Cole. Pretty cool. Anyway, back to the cartoon. Conan and Needle, who is hiding in the shield, set out on their mission. For some reason, Conan is supposed to keep Needle hidden, and he's never to reveal the existence of Needle to anyone. It's not made clear why, but it does lead to a lot of wacky hijinks when later in the episode, Needle comes out of the shield to take some pomegranates from a merchant's table. Pomegranates? Oh, Needle want pomegranates! Not now! I'll take one. Mm, Needle take one, too. supposed to keep you a secret. Sorry, it's uh, my parrot. Oh, that needle. Now, earlier when we talked about dregs being the comic relief for the bad guys, needle is obviously the comic relief for the good guys. And I have to assume that the kids loved him. Anyway, Conan, Thunder, and Needle journey to a city on one of the coasts. And once again, Thunder refuses to go inside. So, Taking his sword and the shield with Needle inside it, Conan enters the city to find a job. He's not there for even two minutes when he's approached by a woman and is offered a job on her brother's ship. Conan accompanies her back to an inn where she feeds him, hanging all over him as he eats, which is probably the most action that this Conan will ever get, considering, you know, that it's a kid's show, but... I guess they have to keep up their tradition that Conan is a man whore, even even in a kid's cartoon. So finished with his meal, Conan passes out and we learn that it was all a trap. It's a trap. The woman and her brother work for Rathamon. And when Conan wakes, he finds himself in chains on a Stygian slave ship bound for the slave pits of Rathamon. And that's how the episode ends with a great big to be continued appearing on the screen before we fade to black. In our next episode, Conan's life hangs in the balance as he is delivered into slavery at the hands of the evil Stygian wizard, Rathamon. His only hope lies with his reluctant companion, Needle the Phoenix, and his newfound ally, Zula, a warrior prince with amazing powers. Together, they plot a slave revolt. But can they succeed against the Serpent Men of Set? Find out in the next thrilling episode of Conan, the Adventurer. Okay, so... I feel like had this cartoon come out back in the 80s, back when I was a kid and I was rushing home from grade school every day to watch shows like G.I. Joe and the Transformers or Thundercats, I feel that I would have really loved Conan the Adventurer, even just based on this first episode, because at this point, that's all I have to go on. I've, I've yet to delve deeper into the series. But yeah, like I said, had this come out back in the 80s, I really do think I would have loved it and I would have been totally into it because I knew who Conan was. I was a big fan and that was primarily due to watching Conan the Destroyer over and over the summer that it landed on HBO. And because of the movie, you know, I thought Conan was the freaking bee's knees. So yeah, I think this cartoon would have been right up my street. Looking at it for the first time now, however, in my 50s, I mean, I am obviously not the audience for this show. It's corny. Most everyone looks ridiculous and the action is very flashy and yet quite bland. Furthermore, oh my God, Conan the Adventurer is such a 90s cartoon. I mean, through and through. I can't explain why, but just like 
how I know a 90s action movie when I see it. I know a 90s cartoon when I see one. Now, as I said, I haven't moved on to episode two or beyond, and maybe I will, maybe I won't. Some of that will depend on you, loyal patrons, which we'll get to in a moment. But I am rather curious to meet the rest of Conan's supporting cast. At the very end of the opening theme song thing, it has like these four heroes, not counting Conan and Needle, just standing side by side with the big Conan, the adventurer logo behind them. And I kind of want to know more about him. Of course, per Wikipedia, along with Zula, who was the dude that was sitting next to Conan on the ship at the end of the episode, we're also going to eventually meet somebody named Jesmine, uh, Grey Wolf, Sasha, Snag, and Falconer. So yeah, I'm curious to know who is who based on that list and the row of four characters we see there at the end of the opening theme song part. Speaking of which, that opening is pretty badass. This was back when they obviously put more money into the opening than the rest of the episode, which is why the quality of the animation was always at a level above in those openings than in the episodes themselves, which makes sense. I mean, the opening of a show like this told you exactly what to expect and even gave you the entire premise of the show. For example, G.I. Joe is the code name for America's daring, highly trained special mission force. Its purpose, to defend human freedom against Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. And so in this case, Conan, the mightiest warrior ever, his quest to undo the spell of living stone cast upon his family by driving the evil serpent men back into another dimension and vanquishing their leader, the cruel wizard Rathamon. That's everything you need to know about this series right there in the opening part of the, the episode, the theme song, the intro part. But yeah, all in all, the episode was fun and yet horrible at the same time. And you know what? I think that's all I have to say about episode one of Conan the Adventurer from 1992. Well, there you go, folks. The first Hither Came Conan bonus episode to be created specifically for the super secret Steven Society. Bonus episodes are exclusive to second level members and above until such a time that I am unable to release an episode on the main feed and Rather than skip a week, this will go out instead. And guess what? If you're hearing this, that, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. I'm currently hard at work on the next bonus episode, which if you are a second level member or above, you voted for. And that's the first issue in the 2003 Dark Horse run, which was simply titled Conan. In fact, I figured if I'm going to read issue one and then record an episode about it, then I might as well read the next five and record episodes about those as well. So yeah, that's something to look forward to, isn't it? As for the main feed next week, we will hopefully get back to the Titan Comics run with Conan the Barbarian number six, which had been delayed yet another week. It's not due out now until January the 3rd. Until then, folks, keep your swords close by. Never stop treading them jeweled thrones. But most importantly, be nice to each other. Bye. Many 
feuds did Conan fight, honor and fear were heaped upon his name. In time, he became a king by his own hand. This story shall also be told. I just don't think I can move through life knowing that a guy named Steven did this to me. Enough talk! BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 